The Techno-Philosophy and Critical Methods Conflux has been putting on live events covering Marxism, Nietzsche, feminist theory and so on. Back in February in the Freud Museum in London, Professor Bran Nickel gave a talk about psychoanalysis focusing on Freud and Lacan. I'm Ruth Hansford and I asked him over Zoom during lockdown to revisit some of the themes that he covered. Bran, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. You called your talk, and we're calling this podcast Enduring Psychoanalysis. Can you explain why Enduring Psychoanalysis? First of all, thanks, Ruth. It's great to be here. Enduring Psychoanalysis, um, there's obviously a play on words in that it's kind of putting up with psychoanalysis, and that psychoanalysis is a, it's a difficult and challenging kind of theory, not least because it asks people to think about their own motivation their own theoretical endeavours. It's also very difficult, very complex. There's a, whole, there's a whole system involved and there's a whole vocabulary that people need to learn. But the other meaning of enduring is, of course, something that, that is persisting and something that's still here. And that's one of my interests with psychoanalysis. And it, it's whether contemporary students, you know, PhD students in particular, are still using psychoanalysis in their humanities, in their arts and humanities research, whether it's still as relevant as it was, say, 20 years ago. And why do you think it might be less fashionable than it has been in the past? My perception is that it's less fashionable in that there are fewer uh, psychoanalytic readings uh, and you hear Freud and Lacan and associates cited less. My interest there is whether psychoanalysis is still relevant or can be still relevant and uh, as something that endures or persists. No, I mean, I, I suppose I've stopped using psychoanalysis so much in my own work. But I do feel it's, it's relevant to, to so many um, cultural phenomena at the moment. Certainly in terms of the, the deeper psychological impulses that seem to motivate our behaviour. It's, it's, it's difficult not to think of much broader political questions here about the, you know, the, state, of the, the state of politics in the West, but also uh, attitudes to such things as climate change, etc. So I, I do feel like psychoanalysis is a framework that, that always brings into contact the human uh, and the, the psychological with the social. Both Freud and Lacan were practitioners, weren't they? And you, I think, talk about the difference between clinical psychoanalysis and cultural psychoanalysis. Would you say that they both drew on their clinical casework? Absolutely. So both were practising psychoanalysts throughout their lives. It's interesting in Freud's case because that meant inventing psychoanalysis. You know, so he invented the, the practice of psychoanalysis and then, of course, continued to practise. Lacan always called himself a Freudian, but he too was a practicing therapist, uh, very controversial in his case. And he was very keen to challenge the norms of psychoanalysis. Um, and probably the most notorious thing was that he advocated very short sessions in some cases, which were not value for money and which were kind of shock, shocked the patient, but were built into his, uh, the rationale behind his theory. But so, yeah, so both were, were practicing clinicians uh, and many of their theories came directly from experience or were tested out in experience. One of the key things that seems to come up is this notion of hysteria. You talked about hysteria. Can you explain where this fits in? In a sense, hysteria is at the very foundation of psychoanalysis. That was, that was the starting point for Freud and his colleague Josef Breuer in the late 19th century. They began to analyse hysterical patients and hysteria does have a long tradition going way back to, to Greek mythology 
associated problematically with femininity. And I think that problem is still there with Freud's original practice, Freud and Breuer's original practice. But the key thing was that they called it conversion hysteria, was that hysteria was a curious kind of condition where the condition or the symptoms felt absolutely real and genuine to the person. They felt organic in some cases, but actually they were caused by unconscious disturbances or motivations. And that's the foundation for psychoanalysis, the idea that how we behave outwardly is actually determined by something inside that we're not aware of. But what I wanted to do in the talk was use a, a, a sort of development of that concept, which is mainly Lacanian, and that's hystericization. So the hysteric is somebody who, in, in Lacan's terms, whose behavior is answering an unspoken question. And for Lacan, it was a question about gender and, and sex. So the question was, who am I, a man or a woman? And that was his interpretation of Freud. So that all the hysteric symptoms could be seen as a kind of way of acting out an answer to those questions. Who am I, a man or a woman? But Lacan actually makes that even more general, so that the process of hystericization is answering a question, what do you want? You know, who are you? And I think those kind of questions are what the hysterical process sets into being. So that in all, in all sort of spheres, all frames of existence, we might find ourselves in a hysterical position where unconsciously we're being asked the question, who are you? What do you want? There's an inter interesting link between the clinical and the cultural, because um, to go back to this question about the clinical, psychoanalysis for some analysts should remain in the clinic and should never be divorced from practical experience. You know, it has that connection with medicine. And it's just as you wouldn't want to practice medicine if you're not qualified, there's a sense that you shouldn't do that with psychoanalysis. Jean Laplanche, who was a, another Freudian, a kind of contemporary of Lacan, referred to extramural psychoanalysis, which was psychoanalysis which was outside the clinic. He was actually very good at that as well. And that's kind of what I thought as the cultural, it's something outside the clinic. This question of who am I? There's a lot of talk these days about otherness. Where does that come from in terms of psychoanalysis? Yeah, it's a good question. I think there are two answers to that, really. On the one hand, psychoanalysis is very much about a relationship with the other. And at its most simple, the other is the person who is not you. So that in any conversation, in every situation, you are encountering others. Um, so when in psychoanalysis, that means other people with other desires and other unconsciouses that, that they're kind of uh, working together. Um, but I think the other way it's relevant is that otherness is, from a psychoanalytic point of view, something that's actually inside ourselves, as contradictory as that might sound, that actually we, we are other. And this means that our unconscious actually contains a side of ourselves that is, is not who we think we are. And I should say, I think the danger there is that, we, that I'm already beginning to sound a bit gothic. You know, I'm sounding as if it's, it's about the ego and the id, which is Freud's terms. Lacan makes that far more um, appropriate to the way society operates. So that, that what it means to be other inside is that we sort of absorb and are shaped by social norms. We kind of integrate those into our personality. And that determines how we think of ourselves. I mean, this is where, this is something I wanted to explore in relation to the film Rear Window. Uh, which I talked about that day. And Lacan has this concept which he calls extimity, 
Well, that's more the French term, l'extimité. It's um, extimacy, I suppose, is the best term. The opposite of intimacy. Yeah. It sounds as if literally it means it should be the most outside part of yourself. The way that intimate is the most, the, in, the most inner side of yourself. The extimate should be the most outer point. But for Lacan, it's almost the opposite. That the extimate is means that the further inside yourself you get, the more you realize that what is there is something external and something strange. So it's a, it's a contradictory term that the, the most intimate is actually other and is something outside ourselves. Is that because of language? It's the thing that you have at your disposal to express those things, which already takes it out of yourself? Absolutely. Uh, and that's core to Lacan's thinking. And that's where he's, he differs from Freud. So that um, the key thing for Lacan is the encounter with language. And he calls it the symbolic order to indicate that actually it's more than just spoken language. Language is all kinds of signs. But really, he thought about the actual process of uh, gaining language or, or dealing with this kind of alien form language. And that is the key thing. So we have to enter the symbolic order. That's what happens as we become socialized beings, as we go through infant, infancy and become uh, sort of fully formed human beings, if you like. That means we have to exist in the symbolic order. But of course, the symbolic order is something outside ourselves. It's something we can't really control. We have to adapt to. And it's that which actually forms the unconscious. So you're absolutely right. That's, what, that's an estimate process, in a sense. That at the heart of us is what language makes us. But language itself is something outside ourselves. So we're being shaped by what is, what is outside ourselves, what is estimate. For a lot of technic students, including myself, that fascination with language and stories is very much part of our research. But the other thing I'm picking up on from what you're talking about is performance. And the estimate is really about being on stage and being a performer, not doing it for yourself, but doing it for the therapist or the other person in the room, an audience of some kind. That seems to be something that's in psychoanalysis as well, doesn't it? It is. So there's, there's two fundamental points there. Uh, I think you're quite right. There's the question of, of performance or self-performance and the, and the significance of narrative in psychoanalysis. To take the, the question of performance first, um, we have to distinguish here between another branch of psychology, a more kind of behaviorist psychology, which is about everyday life, social life being a performance. Psychoanalysis is kind of close to that, you know, the, the sense that there's no real being we are. We perform on various stages, whether it's professional ones or, or personal ones, you know, where, whatever, whichever stage we happen to be on, we perform accordingly. For psychoanalysis, I think it's about the fact that we, the, the core of our being is something that's alien and, and not known necessarily. And the ego, as Freud would call it and Lacan would call it, is that dimension of our personality, which kind of creates a functioning social personality that is a way of managing what's in the unconscious as opposed to um, representing us. How do you see Freud and Lacan and their relationship with the performing arts? I know that Freud hated music, didn't he? Or rather, he liked the marriage of Figaro, but that was about it. We're talking about a performance. What did the pair of them make of the performing arts? I, I'm tempted to say both were fairly disparaging towards performing arts. Um, I mean, Freud had a, a, an interesting relationship in that he was very fond of using um, literary metaphors or um, metaphors from, from art and, and drama. Um, but as metaphors, he tended to think that um, creative writing, uh, creative writers in particular, were, were daydreamers in his term or, or were 
living purely in this kind of ego space. I mentioned narrative. Psychoanalysis is, is in a way all about narrative, especially in its Freudian format. I mean, for Freud really is dealing, dealing with narratives. You know, his patients came to him with stories. And the key to a successful analysis is to try and understand the story. Um, and really what's behind the story. Uh, and it's a story that the patients didn't necessarily know. They knew bits of the story. And the job of the analyst is to fill in the, the, the missing pieces. Um, and the various ways in which stories are presented or fragments of stories presented relate to other kinds of narrative, such as dreams, for example. Dreams have a, a narrative logic um, that Freud uncovered. So without him specifically presenting himself as a narrative theorist, the way we might think of in, in terms of literary theory, what he is exploring is, in a sense, all about You're going narrative. to be doing an online illustrated mini-lecture exploring these themes in Hitchcock's film The Re at Rear Window, which was made in 1954. What do you think Freud and Lacan would have made of that film? It's difficult to know what they would have made of that, because it's these... Uh, Hitchcock in particular seems to be one of these um, filmmakers who um, is almost produced by psychoanalysis in the sense that you can't imagine a Hitchcockian universe without a psychoanalytic one. He's so in tune with the way psychoanalysis works. So what they would have made of it, I'm not sure, but it's certainly in tune with, um, with psychoanalytic ideas, almost as if Hitchcock was a, a specialist, whereas he wasn't. I think it's just something instinctive. He, he understands that connection between the inside and the outside. That, that's why uh, Rear Window is so interesting, I think, actually, that it's about extimacy in that sense. It's about that the, the, on different levels, that the closer inside something you get, the more alien and the more disturbing it might be. And that means both this, the individual self, as represented by the protagonist of the movie, L.B. Jeffries, but also in terms of the community, you know, the world that's presented in Hitchcock, that the, the closer you probe into it, the more deeply you probe into it, the more you uncover something that's alien and disturbing and, and hard to actually process and assimilate. Do you think that Freud and Lacan are accessible in their own writings, regardless of the language? I think, I mean, Freud is very readable. I mean, Freud was a great writer, you know, a very elegant writer. You can almost read some of his works as a, a, in a sense, you know, the, the, the most cleverly disguised autobiography ever written. So Freud is very readable, but there's a vast number of concepts and, and, and a kind of system to read. Lacan is very difficult to read, notoriously difficult to read, uh, deliberately difficult to follow. You know, that was part of the challenge that he wanted to give people. So I think what I would do for, if I was interested in a, a particular psychoanalytic concept, I would actually start with a good dictionary of psychoanalysis. Um, I think by far the best one is the one by Laplanche and Pontalis called The Language of Psychoanalysis. Because I think one of the, the fascinating, appealing things about um, psychoanalysis, one of the seductive things, is that it deals with very, very common concepts and ideas, such as uh, neighborliness and the idea of loving one's neighbor. Um, of course, it's a kind of Christian ideal, but it's something that's absorbed completely into our, our culture now. Uh, so psychoanalysis has a lot to say about this, and that's really what I wanted to look at in, in relation to Rear Window. And very timely with our current lockdown circumstances. That's one of the things that struck me about this, actually, that, um, you know, talking about that film just before the lockdown, and uh, actually how many, how many of the texts that, that I... I really enjoy and I really value do tend to be texts about confinement 
you know. So I'm not suggesting there's some kind of prefiguring of the current situation in our, our reading choices or our watching choices, but there does seem to be something um, that speaks to our current situation in, in films like this. So Rear Window is, yeah, it's about a, a man who is involuntarily confined to his bedroom uh, and has to look outside and then begins to construct what seem to be fantasies about outside, uh, about the outside, but in a way that eventually comes back to reality and comes back to him inside. Very much back to the title of your talk and this podcast, Enduring Psychoanalysis. And here's a theme that endures to our current lockdown times, as it did to earlier times. Perhaps in both senses, you know, it endures, it persists, but actually it's something we have to endure. And we have to go through, not only going through the experience of it, but the experience of what this might say about ourselves in confinement uh, might be something we have to endure as well. That's fascinating. Thank you so much for this, Brand. Looking forward to that mini lecture. It's been a real pleasure. I mean, thank you very much, Ruth. Thank you.